Kate Waring was a fiery redhead with a heart of gold. She was an excellent writer, a skilled linguist, and a world traveler. In 2009, as she prepared for her next trip to Russia, Kate would face a catastrophic betrayal. Who could possibly do this to such a vibrant young woman? everyone welcome to sentenced i'm kara and i'm caitlin hola how are you i'm super how are you oh today's been a day <laughs> to say oh the gosh least. Um, i can tell even though you're far away i can feel your energy <laughs> i'm like extra goofy right now but i think it's just because i've just had a day and so now i'm just like off the wall with all my energy but um we had indian food for dinner and I always get the same thing because I'm white and I just get chicken tikka masala because <laughs> it's never spicy. But they added it, they made it so spicy this time. And Robert and I split it, but we could barely eat it. We felt, I felt so bad. We ate the naan and the rice, but yeah. So then I just chugged like a bunch of milk. So <laughs> I just like oh. a lot right now. <laughs> That's a winning combination. Oh, yeah. I love sure. Indian food. I do too, but it was so, sp- like, so spicy like not like I can usually handle a little bit but it was like eating a whole bag of hot Cheetos every single bite oh my gosh yeah it was a lot that's a lot well I'm sorry that's okay it was still really good I still ate it I'm not gonna not eat (laughs) (laughs) uh well if it makes you feel any better I had the unfortunate circumstances of having to buy a new dishwasher today which is so stupid because there are a thousand other things that I could have spent that money on and a dishwasher was not in my plans like my house was built in 2019 tell me why it's 2023 and I already need a new dishwasher first world problems having to buy a dishwasher Uh, (laughs) sucks I'd rather buy a new fridge but do you like your dishwasher now the new one well, they haven't installed it yet because the, the earliest they could get to me was, like, Monday, which is less than a week, but still. Oh, no. So you have to wash your dishes by hand yeah. for a whole <laughs> week? AJ, I was like, let's go get paper plates and make plastic cutlery. <laughs> he was like, that's so not sustainable. So no. we didn't because we're advocates for the planet and all that shit, but it's probably going to be pizza <laughs> for the next week. <laughs> See, I... I practically wash my dishes before we put them in the dishwasher, and I feel like it helps the dishwasher, but I still have, like, a handful of things that I wash by hand because I refuse to put them in the dishwasher. Yeah. But I'm also just extra. Yeah. But. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, it's, we'll be fine. You'll live. I promise you'll live. It'll be okay. You'll get through this. Yeah. It's really trying times for you right now. I understand. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just being a dick. Thank you for your support. <laughs> Anytime. Cool. Um, so do you have any updates? Um, sadly, Jeff Beck passed away. I don't think we talked about that in the last episode. Um, so we did get to see him in concert with Johnny Depp three months before he passed. So that was really sad because 
it's just kind of surreal that you could just see somebody in concert and then they're not here anymore. It's kind of, it's weird. I know, it's crazy. And he, he was killing it in concert. Like, that man was amazing. Yeah, he was definitely getting it. Like, he was feeling himself, feeling the music. And so, and it came on very quickly from what I understand. So, um, I think it was meningitis, which affects, I think, your brain. Um, yeah. Because Robert and I were looking it up, but this was, like, last week when we looked it up, so I've already forgotten, but... It was just, like, really quick, but it was also contagious, I believe, too. So, you know, he probably had to be quarantined, like, during his last moments, which is even more sad. So, my heart just goes out to him and his family and, of course, like, his bandmates because, you know, they spent a lot of time touring together. Yeah, absolutely. It becomes your family at that point. And they, you can tell on stage, they had such chemistry. They were all very present in... Very oh, inclusive. Yeah. It was cool to see that. Yeah, I'm glad, you know, we got to see him in concert. And my dad was just like, you got to see him in concert. And I didn't. And my dad has, like, album covers of his on his wall. So it was just kind of, it was cool. It was, a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm glad we did it. It was an experience, so. Yeah, it was so fun. I think it just, if anything, it's like, life is short. Go to the concert. Go to the comedy show. Yeah, I know? mean, don't break the bank experience. trying to experience every single thing all the time. But, I mean, definitely live your life and have fun like we spend most of our money just traveling and having experiences and it's worth every penny yeah i agree well should we get into our case yes, ma'am i have no idea what this one's about so i'm excited okay so we're gonna be talking about uh kate waring today so Catherine perino waring was born on may 5th 1981 um, and so when I, I kind of was interested in what her astrological sign was, so she was a Taurus. And then after looking up that information, I kind of went down a rabbit hole and apparently for her birth date and her birth year, everyone is given these life path numbers. Her life path number is 11. And I, I was doing this also because I wanted to kind of learn more about her personality and that sort of thing. Um, so life Path number 11 is a master number that represents intuition, idealism, and invention. Isn't 11 super rare? I don't know a whole lot about life path numbers, but I know there's like some that are super, super rare. But keep talking, sorry. Okay. Um, Idealism and invention. You have the potential to be a source of inspiration and illumination for people. So... Um, Caitlin, I'm glad you asked. Um, I did look up our life path. Did you really? Yes. (laughs) Okay. This is crazy. Okay. If you are born, if you were born on June 12th, 1989, your life path number is nine. The life path nine suggests that you entered this plane with an abundance of dramatic feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Coupled with a strong sense of compassion and generosity. Nines have an unending flow of love to give, and they offer it to the world at large. The values of nines are compassion, understanding, and acceptance. And challenges are to come away with every new experience a little bit wiser. So, do you know what your life path number is? It's nine. That's so weird. Are you serious? Okay, which is, yes, which is so weird because this either means that you and I are destined to be best friends 
or whoever did the life path numbers got halfway through and then they were just like <laughs> repeat um i'm pretty sure we're like soulmates so i mean i'm gonna take the the first answer but isn't that crazy because your birthday is in december and mine's in june and mine's the 12th of june and yours is the 29th of december so it's like really bizarre but it's also based on your year and we were born in like several Four, years it's apart. okay not we're not be a little easy, <laughs> you're easy not that there. much older than me <laughs> But that is really crazy that we're both nine. Did you look up AJ's? No, I didn't. I will. I'll look it up. It's probably nine. <laughs> How weird would it be if all of ours were? I don't think Robert's is because I think I've looked his up before. Um, let me see. I like how we're just going on this tangent of life path numbers. I was literally in my first sentence of my story. Listen, I'm, I'm intrigued now and I'm all in. So let's see. Robert is August. Uh, he's seven. Okay. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. His life path number is the number of higher awareness, a wider point of view. Those with life path number seven tend to be intellectual and analytical thinkers. A hundred percent, Robert. They likely have a great understanding of the spiritual self and are drawn to the mysteries of the very existence of all that is the universe and everything within it. You are more independent and tend to withdraw into your own solitary role to contemplate on your current projects. Be wary of becoming too narrow-minded and reclusive. Um, yeah, that mm. sounds like Robert. He's a Leo. It's probably for the better that there's, like, one person that's not as crazy as all I mean, honestly, I okay. think he keeps us all level-headed at most of the time. Probably. Even though he's also crazy. Good, good voice of reason. Occasionally. Okay, anyway, so... <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'll stop interjecting. <laughs> No, 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 no. Okay, we're good. So back to the story. So uh, Catherine Waring was born on May 5th, 1981. We established that she's a Taurus, and we established that her life path number is 11. Um, her parents were Thomas and Janice Waring from Charleston, South Carolina. She was the couple's only daughter, the middle child born after older brother Joe and before younger brother Richard. They were a prominent family and had roots in Charleston going back about 10 generations. And her father was a lawyer. Um, so very, they lived in a really nice neighborhood. They were well off. She, you know, she was definitely set up for success. Kate went to Porter God School, a college prep middle school from grades one through eight, followed by a college prep boarding school in Connecticut. She loved to travel and even spent a semester abroad in England before she attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which, go Tar Heels, it's a beautiful campus if anyone's ever been there. She was a member of the Pi Phi sorority, I think that's short for Pi Beta Phi, and she obtained a degree in the classics, which is like a wide-range degree devoted to the study of literature, history, philosophy, languages, archaeology and of the ancient Greek and Roman worlds. She was great at learning other languages, and she excelled in writing and poetry. Kate was an animal lover and accepting of everyone. She was a daddy's girl, a tomboy, and a debutante. She even sang in the church choir where she was a lifelong member. However, Kate had her demons. She was sexually abused by someone the family knew, and I just also want... 
to say that this, unfortunately, about 93% of children who are victims of sexual abuse, they know their abuser. I think it's important as we're advocating for these victims to kind of shed some light. These aren't things that we hear about probably as much as we should. I think bringing awareness around these can really help us kind of provide people the resources. Well, it makes people uncomfortable, so people don't like to talk about it. That's why, like, a lot of times when people are victims, especially if it's a family member, it gets brushed under the rug, and people are like, well, we don't want to talk about it. You just won't ever be around that person again, but we won't talk about it. And it's like, no, we we need to talk about it. We need to do something. It's especially children, like... Mm-hmm. their minds are just so, they're sponges. Like, they just take in everything. And so if you're teaching your child that this behavior is accepted or not saying that this is the case in this situation. No, no, no. Um, but, you know, it is important to talk about it and it is important to bring awareness to these sorts of topics, even though it makes us very uncomfortable. And it should. We shouldn't be comfortable right. talking about these things. Like, yeah, it's... It's not right, but that's just part of fixing the problem is talking about it. And I know that we've said this before, not all abuse, whether it's sexual, verbal, physical abuse gets reported. A lot of people say, you know, I don't want to report this. I'm not too upset about it. If you're not reporting it for yourself, report it for the next victim. Absolutely. Or the previous victims. If no one reports it, it's just going to continue to go unnoticed. And I think it's just important to always report it, even if it's anonymous. So Kate struggled with depression, eating disorders, drug and alcohol abuse, and she was a risk taker. She would go through periods where she would get sober, but it wouldn't stick. And she ultimately lost her driver's license. She was actively working with a therapist and taking medication to subside her symptoms. So, of course, as we mentioned, the family did intervene, which I think is a step in the right direction. It sounds like they were aware of this. It happened when she was younger, and they just continued to um, seek help for it. She was still having a rough time, and in August of 2008, Her father, Tom, was desperate to guide her back to the straight and narrow. He offered to take her anywhere in the world, and they went on a polar expedition to Spitzenberg inside the Arctic Circle. Uh, Are you familiar with that? With the Arctic Circle? I can't say I am. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't either, so I had to, to, like, pull up my map. This is really embarrassing. I had to pull up a map and kind of look at it to get an idea of where she was. But it sounds like they like went to all these different locations. The Arctic or Spitzenberg is midway between the northern coast of Norway and the North Pole. But then there's like Russia that's right here and there's Antarctica. And I'm glad that we're not actually doing this on video because <laughs> people would probably be like, that's incorrect. But they're all up there together. And that so it sounds like they correct. went to. Yeah, <laughs> where I'm pointing in the air. Um, it's probably not Holds accurate. Up a map. <laughs> you just have a globe. You do have a globe right behind you. <laughs> oh, I could go get that for you. That's actually really funny. <laughs> that you're just like this and this, and there's literally a globe behind you. <laughs> there's a whole ass globe behind me. It's cool. This trip was very inspiring and eye-opening to Kate. She saw younger men with her age with families, and she kind of had an aha moment. 
She looked at her dad while on this trip and said, Dad, I don't have to settle for what I've been settling for, do I? Which having that realization of your self-worth is pretty empowering, especially for someone who's been struggling with alcohol, struggling with drugs, low self-esteem. Um, so I think that that's pretty amazing. And so while on this trip, she met a Russian crew member aboard the ship and would eventually even travel to Moscow to meet up with him again. After the trip with her father, Kate was transformed. She was consumed by all things Russian. She was motivated to return to Russia, but in the meantime, she would take up Russian studies at the College of Charleston. In May of 2009, she went to Washington, D.C. to leave for Russia. Due to an error in paperwork, she would have to put her trip on hold. I'm not sure exactly what happened, but from South Carolina, she took a train to go to Washington, D.C. She was supposed to leave from D.C., to Russia, but something was going on with her paperwork or her passport, and so she kind of had to put that on hold. She boarded the Palmetto, which is like, it's like Amtrak, and it went all the way um, down like the East Coast, so it would take her back from DC to Charleston, and then she would continue her studies, and she would also work on her children's book. So this was in June of 2009, and according to her brother Joe, she was the happiest she had been in 10 years. On June 12th, 2009, Kate had a seemingly normal day. She was seeing a man named Howard Gatch, and Howard drove her to her therapy session in the morning because, of course, she didn't have her driver's license. And she gave him a big hug and seemed to be in pretty good spirits. She went into her therapy, and then a few hours later, she would go to the gym where she would see Howard again. Also at the gym was Howard's ex-wife, which I'm sure we can all imagine that's pretty awkward. They got into a little bit of a tiff, but it didn't seem something to be overly concerned about. Later that day, she would go to the pharmacy, she would pick up her prescription, and then off to dinner with some friends. So, do you know if it's weird for his ex to be at the gym that they were at, or was that just pretty normal? I don't know. I feel like it's probably normal. Um... I mean, if it were me personally, I would, and if I knew my ex went to a certain gym, I would avoid that gym at all costs, but I don't know. I mean... And how long were they together for, him and the ex? I That I'm not okay. sure. Yeah, this is like a recent divorce, and it was kind of a newer relationship, um, and it it didn't sound like it was like a super super serious relationship but probably like the first like real relationship since getting out of the, the divorce I would imagine okay. so for dinner that night Kate met her friends Ethan Mack and Heather Camp Ethan and Kate were longtime friends now they grew up on very they grew up with very different backgrounds but they treated each other like brother and sister Ethan was always there for Kate during her darker times he would talk her off the ledge and kind of serve as a protector she definitely considered Ethan like her very best friend, and she even got them matching little bulldog keychains when she was in Russia. Heather and Kate met when they were both traveling from D.C. to Charleston. So when that happened with her paperwork and she had to take the train back, that's when she met Heather. Heather was a pediatric surgeon, and she was relocating to the area. She also had a kind of an unfortunate past, so her daughter was tragically killed in a car accident in New Jersey so she's just looking for a fresh start that's so sad I know 
So starting a new chapter in South Carolina. Although it wasn't off to a great start because her wallet got stolen on the train. So Kate's like, I got you, I'll help you. And the two became fast friends. And of course, she introduced Heather to Ethan. Within no time, romance sparked. And so while they were at dinner that night on Friday, June 12th, they told Kate that they were engaged to be married. Aww. Normal dinner. Yeah. Huh? I said, aw, like, that's kind of cute. Like, her two friends, she brought them together. She's a matchmaker. Ethan would drive Kate home after dinner, and Kate would text her love interest Howard before going to bed. On June 13th, while at their vacation home outside of Charleston, Tom was growing concerned. Her father... Kate usually checked in with her parents almost hourly, and he hadn't heard anything from her since the previous day. So Kate was still living with her parents, and so Tom went to the house to check on her, and he noticed all the lights were on, and her medicine was sitting in the room. This was concerning. She never went anywhere without her medicine. They went back to the house on Sunday, and there was still no sign of Kate. Despite her past, she would always call her parents to check in. Even if it was the next morning, this is where I stayed. I was at my friend's house. So Kate's parents were immediately concerned. They started calling the hospitals looking for a Jane Doe. They called the police to see, is there, have you guys heard any reports? They even called the, the detention centers, like thinking if this, this would be odd, but if she's in trouble, let's just find out where she is. Right. And what was her no. medication for? So her medication, and I'm going to get there. Um, so Effexor, which is 150 milligrams used to treat adults with certain types of depression called major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, or panic disorders. Got it. Okay. So something she definitely didn't want to go without. Yes. And that just indicates, too, that she was taking her mental health seriously and she was taking this medicine on a regular basis. Right. So The weekend goes by. They still don't hear anything from Kate. On the morning of June 15th, which was a Monday, Kate's bank's manager called her dad, Tom. At this point, Kate had been missing for 48 hours. Ethan Mack had attempted to cash a check from Kate's bank, which her father was on as well. I'm assuming just... To kind of either create a new account or that way he could deposit money into the account if he needed to. Wait, Ethan was trying to cash a check? Mm-hmm. Is Ethan the bad so, guy here? I'm so confused because I thought it was going to be the ex-wife. Sorry, I'm just I'm just thinking out loud. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Um, Ethan Mack is cashing a check from Kate's bank. Her father is like a co-signer or a co-account holder. And this check is for $4,500, so $4,500, and Kate's bank account has $100 in it, maybe. What the heck? Yeah, so Tom calls the police because he's like, this is not yeah. right. Good job, Dad. <laughs> so detectives bring in Ethan, and he simply explains that Kate wrote the check. She had actually borrowed money from him because she wanted to purchase jewelry. Ethan explained again. Him and Kate had dinner last night. He took her home around 11.30 or 11.45. Detectives discovered these text messages between Ethan and Kate. They verified that, so there are, you know, no worries. But they did notice that her cell phone pinged off a tower near 
James Island, which is about 10 minutes from the battery where she lived around 1.35 a.m. So Kate's parents are like, okay, well, 1.35 a.m., that's weird. And James Island, that's weird. That's not where we live. We live on the battery, which is a really nice area of Charleston. And detectives are just like, no, if a tower's busy, it'll go to the next tower. This is 1.53 a.m. How busy is a cell phone tower going to be at 1.53 a.m.? Right, and you said it's on, like, an island? Yeah, I don't know that that makes a huge difference, but it's 10 miles away, so was that the next available tower in a 10-mile span? Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm intrigued. But Ethan gave detectives his address. He's like, go to my house, whatever you need to do. This is This is what happened, but I understand the investigation, so go to my house and just do what you need to do. However... Ethan did feel ambushed. He left a voicemail on the Waring's house phone expressing his frustration. He was upset. He felt blamed for this. He thought he was part of the family. And he's also concerned. Go out and look for the person that could have potentially done this. Why are you wasting your time with me? And the Waring's didn't really know him. Even though they were best friends, it sounds like they had not had too many interactions with Ethan. That's weird of him to say, like, I'm part of the family. Like, that would be, like... Yeah, I mean, that's not an exact quote, but it's... But the voice... I mean, he was just maintaining his innocence, and he just solidifying that he cares for her so much, and... That would be, like, me calling your family and being, like, why didn't you invite me to this event? I'm practically a part of the family. When I haven't met anybody from your family, I'm just really close to you and AJ, like... It's just kind of, it's definitely sus. Yeah, for sure. Kate's parents were very concerned. Tom recalled the last phone conversation he had with Kate, and Kate mentioned that she was worried she may have accidentally gotten herself into trouble. She didn't specify as to what, but she did say, I think I might have gotten myself into some trouble. And the Warings feel as if they're running out of time. The Charleston Police Department is not giving them answers. And this is so frustrating. We hear this all the time. Kate is 28 years old and she had a history of drug and alcohol abuse. And so they just seem to be brushing this off. And the cops are saying she could have just picked up and gone to Russia. She might be aboard a tramp steamer right now or something bad happened to her. There could have been a drug overdose or even a suicide. And that's where I would be like, okay, then that means she needs help. Right. I was thinking the same thing. It's like, it's not even the the drug part of it. It's the depression side of it. So if you're under the impression that this young person, 28-year-old, may have committed suicide, then you need to go find her to confirm. Because if not, I mean, she could be bleeding out or or worse, you know? So. Right. Or if... Okay, so the the reason why she didn't go to Russia was because there was a paperwork error, right? So that just indicates that they do a lot of due diligence when people are leaving the country. Go check and see if she's in Russia. Check her passport. Check travel right. logs. Okay, no, she's not in Russia. Okay, um, drug overdose, suicide, drinking, a bender. That means that this person's inhibitions are lowered and they could be in some real trouble. Instead of saying, let's wait for them to come back from their bender on their own, why don't we go find them? Yeah, start calling hotels, start calling like people she may have known from when she was doing those things. 
Right. After two months, the Waring's decide to take matters into their own hands. So Tom calls his childhood friend, John Rivers. John was a philanthropist and a pretty powerful man in Charleston. In attempts to light a fire under the Charleston Police Department, he made a call to the police chief. The chief gives him the runaround and says, yep, we got our best and brightest on it, but Rivers is not convinced, so he calls his friend Andy Savage. Andy Savage was a former prosecutor turned defense attorney. Savage had several connections in the field and assembles a team of retired policemen turned private eye. <laughs> the sassiness in your neck when you said that. <laughs> it's so badass. It is really badass. So, I wish I could be a PI, but I'm not clever enough for that. Oh, man. Just wait until you hear about these guys. Okay, I'm ready. Tell me. Okay. So the first guy we have is named Bobby Minter. And this guy is known as like a human bloodhound. His specialty is tracking people without them knowing it. Well, I mean, his name is then, Bobby, so I mean, it's already a good name. Right? <laughs> Bobby Singer. Um, Bill Caps. Bill Caps is a tech guru, and he tracks people through uh, cyberspace. And then we have James Randolph. I think this guy's my favorite. If, when you listen to him talk, you're just like, oh, hell yeah, James. <laughs> He's an ex-police rebel, and his strategy is shaking things up. <laughs> what is? And like he, what does that mean, an ex-police rebel? Like a rebel spy, like from Star Wars? Like, I don't understand. I don't think it means that exactly, <laughs> but, but I think it means like... You know how cops are, like, supposed to follow protocol and yeah. all that shit? I think that he's like, no, I'm going to get things done. And he's like, in this interview, he's like, if we listen to Kate, she will tell us where she is. Oh, my gosh. So he's also it's dramatic. Like, right. No, but he's cool. Okay. He keeps it real. Yeah. I was about to say, like, I'm okay with the flair of dramatics. It's okay. Yeah. No, I mean, he is, but he... Good dramatic, like us. <laughs> Yeah, totally. He's probably a nine. (laughs) I'm going to look it up after this. Uh, And then the fourth member of the A-team is Eugene Frazier. Eugene Frazier spent 34 years in the homicide... Homicide... The homicide. (laughs) I said homicide for a single time. It's so bad. Eugene Frazier spent 34 years in the homicide department. Huey was a very active member in the community, and for some reason, people would just, like, come to him with tips. You have to say, like, homicide, like, with an I instead of two O's. Homicide. Homicide. Sorry. Once the A-team is assembled, they're ready to go. James, which is the rebel, goes into Kate's room and makes notes of things and find... makes notes of things he finds, including... Some notes in Russian, which is totally normal. Some Chinese money, and again, her prescription that we previously talked about. Bill Caps, who is the tech guy, he took a deep dive into social media. Kate was always on Facebook, emailing, texting, etc. But from the time she went missing up until now, it was basically radio silence. So Caps built an electric map of the night she vanished. For that timeline, on Friday evening at 10.06 p.m., Kate left a voicemail on her friend Jason Locke's phone, and he was a lawyer, just side note, saying someone stole her identity and she wants to sue them. 10.06 p.m., so that's when she left a message. At 10.30 p.m., she told Howard, who was the guy she was seeing, she was at dinner with Ethan. Howard heard from her again 
after midnight saying she was at her friend's house and she sounded kind of buzzed. He would then get a text message from her saying she was headed to Greenville to pick up some lovely and that she would be back in a few days. And Greenville is about three hours and 16 minutes away. He didn't know what she meant by lovely. Um, I don't know. I mean, it kind of sounds like a drug, but I don't. I was going to say, so Ethan is saying that he dropped her off at 11. Yeah, 11.30 to 11.45. And then she was telling Tom, not Tom, uh, the boy Howard, Howard. that she yeah. was at a friend's house around midnight. So did Ethan ever drop her off at home? Yes, Ethan is saying that he dropped her off at 11.30 and then, so at 10.30, Howard gets... Howard and her are somehow talking, not sure if it's a voicemail or if it's like a phone conversation, but at 10.30, she's at dinner with Ethan. After midnight, Howard gets a message. Howard talks to her on the phone and she sounds buzzed and she's at her friend's house. So it could be that Ethan dropped her off and then she went somewhere else because remember her phone pinged at 1.53 a.m. Yeah, so she could be out partying and stuff. Right. Okay. And then he would get a text even later saying that she was headed to Greenville to pick up some lovely and she would be back in a few days. The drive to Greenville is about three hours and 16 minutes. I think it's actually in North Carolina. And he didn't know what she meant by lovely. I don't know if that's like slang for like ecstasy or something like that. I just looked it up and I couldn't find anything. And it was like a British term for a great woman. And I was like, I don't think that's what she was getting. Yeah, I mean... It could have been a typo. Um, and I tried looking at that, too. Like, if you type in lovely, like, what else comes up? But I couldn't. That that was a dead end as well. Yeah, I don't see anything either. I just Googled it real quick. And so the private eye um, caps that is looking at this is he's trying to, like, put all these pieces together, too. And so he identifies the call that she made at 1.53 a.m. And it was actually to her own voicemail, which was full. So... Interesting, because why would somebody be checking their voicemails at 1.53 a.m.? If your voicemail is full, that means you never check them. Yeah. You're not going to be checking them at 1.53 a.m. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. While all this is going on, Eugene, who was the one that was in the homicide for 34 years, he received a tip from one of his church members that he was actually Ethan Mack's landlord. Oh. And he rented an apartment to Ethan's dad. So Ethan Mack actually lived with his father and not his mother. And even more interesting was that his girlfriend lived with him, Heather. So he convinces the landlord to hide a camera on the premises so that the A-team can monitor every move. In this video surveillance, they would see Heather, the girlfriend, the woman that Kate met on the train, and a male neighbor whose name is Terry Williams visiting different banks throughout the day. So they see her go from her house to Terry's house. They go in the car. They start driving around and they're going to different banks. Upon further investigation, the private eyes discover that Heather and Terry are actually floating checks. What does that mean? So in banking, float returns to the money that is double counted due to the delays in processing. So you deduct funds, and then you deposit it somewhere else, and then you deduct and you deposit. Mm. 
So it's basically yeah. stealing from the bank. Okay. And that's not something that really happens as much anymore. 2009, it wasn't that long ago, but I think security and monitoring has come a long way because it's like not really that much of an issue anymore. Well, this was right around the recession. And I think after that is when they really started cracking down on banks and everything and making them more secure. So that that would yeah. make sense. Right. Meanwhile, Bobby Minter put a GPS on Ethan's car and would follow his every move. And this would include Ethan going to work, going to pawn shops, whatever he was doing, Bobby was right there watching him. And I just want to um, note that when it comes to, because these guys, you're like, what, a GPS? What, like a camera? Private investigators, like anyone else, they can go anywhere in public, but they are not allowed to trespass, break into, or illegally gain access to anything. They can't record phone calls. So I don't necessarily know if these guys were operating under, like, the law. (laughs) Probably not. I don't think they cared. So I, just in case you were wondering, is it legal for a private eye to do this, this, and this? Probably not. No, but they could at least get the foot in the door and then have the police take over once they have enough. That was the, I guess, intention. So the A-team continues to look into Ethan and Heather. They discover that Heather also has a rap sheet. She was previously arrested in Indiana, has four children, and has even been married before. Oh, nice. Investigators tell the Warings and the A-team that the forged check and the disappearance of Kate are two separate crimes, and they need to be treated as such. So essentially, well, we'll investigate, like, this, like, money fraud or whatever, but that's not, you know, and we'll investigate this, but there's no way these are linked. That's annoying. Despite ripping off several banks, Ethan and Heather were not paying their rent. This would complicate things because the A-team wanted to ensure they had eyes on them 24-7. If they get evicted from this place that they're staying where Eugene knows the owner, then, like, how are they going to continue their investigation? So philanthropist John Rivers pays their rent, like, under the radar. Yeah. Because, so the A-team convinces John Rivers to pay the rent. This way, the landlord presents an IOU to Heather and Ethan. And he's like, okay, we're going to write out exactly how much you owe me. And then we're going to, we're going to sign this. You guys will sign this. And then, so that way you can just pay me like when you can, when you have the money. This was brilliant because the landlord got paid without... Heather and Ethan knowing, and they could obtain handwriting samples with the exact numbers they needed to compare it with the check that was written from Kate's account. Nice. Wow. (laughs) That's so clever. Man, I really want to be a detective, but I am not that clever. I would be like, just ask them. You should just ask them if they did it, like, because I'm dumb. (laughs) Isn't that badass? That is really badass. The A-team gave the documents to handwriting expert Nikki Dawson, and there was no doubt about it. The handwriting was a match. James from the A-team then poses as a pest inspector with the help of the landlord and goes into the house. (laughs) And they're just like, we're here for your pest inspection. And they thought that Ethan was going to be gone because the GPS tracker on his car indicated that he was, but like for some reason he was just sitting in his house smoking a blunt. Listen... As a landlord, 
if the police came to me and they were like, hey, listen, we're going to want you to cooperate in this. Or like a PI, because I know these guys aren't police officers. I'd be like, yes, tell me when. Do I get to wear a cool outfit? I'll do it. Even though it's it's illegal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. I still want to be approached with the idea. <laughs> so You just wear those um, those glasses that have like the nose and the mustache, <laughs> and you're like, I'm not No, Caitlin. this is a disguise. <laughs> <laughs> It's me, Mario. <laughs> so, so yeah, they go into the house and Ethan is there smoking a blunt and they tell him that he needs to leave because they're spraying for bugs and there's toxic chemicals. So Ian leaves and James just starts searching through his shit. Again, this isn't legal, but Ethan told him he could go in, right? He's a pest control guy and also James doesn't care. So during their search, they found a backpack filled with Chinese money. Meanwhile, Bobby starts posting missing persons signs, like the reward missing persons with Kate's picture, literally everywhere that Ethan's car goes. He's like, oh, okay, he drives down this way. I'm posting it on every single pole. Okay, he stops at this gas station. I'm posting it all over the gas station. He even posts it on his effing windshield. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, as like a psychological message, basically. Right. Like I said, these guys just don't care. They get a bag full of $10,000 and they go to Terry Williams, who's Heather and Ethan's neighbor, and they start telling him, we know that Kate and Ethan did this. We just need you to cooperate. We need you to tell us what you know. While they're talking to Terry and having this conversation, Heather walks out of Terry's bedroom getting dressed. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Messy. Yeah. She calls Ethan furious, and she tells Ethan, these guys are coming after us. I don't know what we're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to appeal to her maternal or empathetic side, which I don't know if she has Probably one. not. It doesn't sound like it. No. Terry ends up telling investigators that there's something that they might be interested in. So he gives them an iPod. And the iPod belonged to Kate, and she was last seen it, using it, at the gym on Friday. So, walls are starting to close in. The A-team is like, all right, we need to cover our tracks. They remove the GPS from Ethan's car. They don't want to get in trouble. And Heather goes to Charleston Beach, uh, Charleston Police Department, and confesses to the forging check from Kate's account. Well, that's a start, Heather, but we're going to need you to do a little bit more because obviously you know more. Yeah, we're going to need a little more from you. Ethan and Heather are both arrested at their places of employment and charged with forgery and obstruction of justice. So. Imagine getting arrested at work. How embarrassing. (laughs) That would be so embarrassing. But you deserve it because clearly they're guilty. Yeah. And... At some point, Heather makes a deal and tells, she leads detectives to where, to Guatemala Island, which is where she says Kate's body is. To where? Uh, Guatemala Island. Guatemala? How do you spell that? It's in uh, W-A-A-D-A-M-A-L-A, I think. Guatemala. (laughs) That's fun. Sorry. (laughs) So she tells detectives that that's where... Kate's body is and so cops go there at this point she's in police custody they go there after a full day of searching and the a-team because they still have friends in the police department so they get wind of this 
So they're not on the force anymore, so they can't go, like, help search for it, but they're kind of behind the scenes watching. And at the end of the day, they ask anything, and the cops are like, no, nothing. As legal teams prepare for the bond hearing, this is crazy. Heather and Ethan are directly across the lobby from each other in jail, like, but they can see each other because they're separated by glass, but she has her legal team, he has his legal team, and the A-team happens to be there. This is just the craziest coincidence. A-team is talking to Heather, and they see Ethan talking to his lawyers, and they're like, he's riding you out. Like, And so Kate's waving her arms, trying to get Ethan's attention, and she breaks. She makes a deal with Andy Savage, who said he would help her with the forgery charges if it turned out that she had nothing to do with a murder and provided the exact location of Kate's body. Heather gives the precise, precise directions to the A-team. Different directions that she gave the cops, but kind of the same area. So they go there, the A-team goes out there, they're looking all day, they still can't find the body. They call Andy Savage, who happens to be out of town, but this guy gets out his computer and goes on Google Maps. (laughs) Google Maps. Google Maps. (laughs) And and he, like, sees it from a bird's eye view. But by this time, it was the end of the day, and they would need to go back the next morning to look. They still needed assurance, though, that they could trust Heather, so they ask her for proof. And Heather tells Andy Savage exactly where her jewelry was pawned and they tell she tells Andy Savage go into our apartment behind the tv you'll see her keys where she has the gold bulldog best friend keychain that she shared with Ethan wow they kept those as a souvenir when they did this on October 10th 2009 the A-team returned to Guatemala Island with their directions from Andy Savage and located the remains of Kate Waring. The A-team called 911 and waited for officers to arrive. When the officers did arrive, they detained the A-team and put them all in the back of separate police cars. I was thinking that. I was like, wait, there were no cops when they found the body. The cops are going to think they did it. What a bunch of dicks. And then you said it. so ridiculous like they have been working on this case every single thing that they have found so far was because of the a-team is that really what they called themselves was the a-team no i think someone just like gave them that name i don't think that they named it themselves okay because i was like that's really funny if they did no i would i'd give us a team name (laughs) like the b team (laughs) yeah (laughs) you'll want to call us second (laughs) um so that i mean they let them go eventually but they wouldn't give them their car keys like they literally put them in the back of police cars oh man i love the police but i hate them at the same time it's tricky and it it's totally dependent upon the department too because obviously there is a lot of negligence in this case i feel like because i'll continue and you'll be like what the fuck okay so after they find their remains, the family goes there, except for Tom. Tom really could not go to the site, which I understand. Yeah, 100%. The family and the A-team, they kind of just join hands in a circle just to kind of remember Kate. 
And then we have our prosecutor. So prosecutor, prosecutor Scarlett Wilson. Of course, her name is Scarlett Wilson. What a badass Best name, name ever. Badass B. <laughs> yeah. Would have a difficult case on her hand. The case had very little evidence, and since the remains had been scattered by animals, there was no obvious cause of death. At this point, it was just bones, unfortunately. As far as the jewelry and the keychain, those easily could have been gifts. And then, by the way, police gave possession of Ethan's apartment, the scene of the crime, directly back to the landlord. That's so stupid. It was never properly... Yeah. They never examined it. They... It was thoroughly clean, so they couldn't even go and look for any remain like any blood or anything. Yeah, any evidence that she'd been there. Right. But since this prosecutor was a badass bee, she found a letter that Kate wrote to a friend saying someone stole my identity, and she was planning on getting her father involved, and so the prosecutor had motive. In October of 2010, they would go to trial, which now I kind of understand why they wait so long to go to trial, because the prosecutor is sitting here, like, digging up shit, basically. So, when did she go missing? She went missing, um, the last time she was seen was June 12th of 2009, and that's the last time anyone heard from <gasps> On her. On her birthday? I know. So, she was missing for four months by the time they found her body. Correct. They found her body in October, and now the tri- is going to trial in October of the following year. Correct. And it was October 6th of 2009. Ethan and Heather technically got married, but the paperwork was never properly filed. So they got married literally days before they found her remains, probably because they're dumbasses and they think like, oh, they can't convict a husband and wife of the same crime or something stupid like that. Well, I think what it is, and I don't think they're this smart... But also, I rolled my eyes so hard when you told me they got married. Um, I think what it is is because, isn't there a law, I don't know what it's called, but you can't legally be made to testify against your spouse. I don't think you can be made. Like, I don't think they can force you to testify, but I think... Right, so I, I don't think they can legally, like, subpoena you to show up to trial to testify. So I think... But what happens in most cases, it's like they pin... People are going to pin, like, throw the other person under the bus. Right, but I think, I don't think they were this smart to think of that, but I do think that is a, a tactic that could have been there, but I don't think that they're smart enough to do that. No, and they didn't even file the fucking paperwork, so. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> kind of have to do a lot of paperwork filing when you get married. <laughs> the Warrings were showed a video in court that unfortunately showed Kate's skull, pelvis, spine, and other bones that were found at the site, which I'm sure was very traumatic, especially since they're having to relive all of this. They're having to go through all of this. They're having to hear all of these gruesome details and then to see those. I don't think that that was very easy. No, I I couldn't imagine going through something like that. No. Um, Dr. Darlene Moak, I don't know if I said that last name right. I apologize. Kate's psychiatrist classified her as a troubled woman who was trying to overcome molestation experience in her childhood and, more recently, alcohol and drug abuse. She testified that she was treating Kate for major depressive disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. She also said that she had had conversations with Kate about Ethan and, at times, talk about him in their therapy sessions. The psychiatrist also said that ever since Heather arrived in Charleston, Kate had been having problems with her friendship with Ethan 
and she even decided to try to end the friendship and was planning on distancing herself from him. So these are things that she has talked to her therapist about. So, okay, I'm gonna keep my question for now because I don't wanna, I don't want you to give anything away. Okay, but I mean, it's just important to note that she did recognize the red flags and there was cause for concern and she was planning on stepping back and setting boundaries is extremely difficult and I understand that. Ethan maintained his innocence and said that they went to dinner. He dropped Kate off at home. His defense team would argue that Heather was a practice con artist and they found at least 13 victims, including her ex-husband, Chris. Heather told Chris's family that she was a doctor. Heather even conducted a blood test on Chris's niece using her own diabetes test and told the parents of this child that the test indicated that the child had bipolar disorder. From from a blood test? From a diabetes <laughs> blood test. I hate her. Okay, I need to know what she looks like. What's her last name? Oh my gosh, let me show you. She's awful. Like, you look at this person and you're like, you are not a doctor. Um, oh, are you going to show me? Sh- uh, yeah. Does Heather do drugs? I'm sure. Or did she do drugs? I don't know. Um, she had the, the horrible, like, straight across eyebrows. Oh, she had them pencil fins. Is that him? Yeah. Wow. She's gross. We'll post these um, on the site, but every single picture that I have found of her was awful, just horrible, like bright blue eyeshadow. And this was 2009, so like, don't try to tell me this was the 90s. Oh, the blue eyeshadow. That was a whole thing. And then how long were they together before they got engaged, her and Ethan? Like, not long at all. At all. Oh. Yeah, like a month. Jeez, Okay. Yeah, because I believe she originally went in May to the train station, and she met Heather on that train, and Heather said, I'm a doctor, and all of this, and she gave her the whole spiel about her daughter um, being in a car crash, and then with this family, so Heather's ex-husband, Chris, so she does this on the daughter, and then the daughter's mother is like, what? I'm sure most of us are aware of this, but you do not diagnose bipolar disorder with a blood test. If anything... Doctors will do a blood test to test you for hypothyroidism because some symptoms of hypothyroidism can cause similar symptoms to bipolar disorder, but you do not diagnose bipolar disorder with a blood test. That is something that a highly trained professional will monitor you for, do a psych evaluation, not a blood test, certainly not a diabetes. <laughs> well, that and like test. you can't just do it in one day either like it takes multiple evaluations I'm sure or at least hours of evaluations like I'm pretty sure you can't just walk into a therapist's office and be like hey can you test me to see if I'm bipolar okay thanks like and it would take like a pediatric physician and a it would take several doctors it wouldn't just be like a surgeon that's like you're bipolar is no, it that? you would want a properly trained psychiatrist and psychologist. Isn't that what she claimed she was, was a pediatric surgeon? Yes, that's what she told um, Kate. And, and this family, too, because Chris's family, her ex-husband, they, her, Chris's sister, the mother of the child that she did this test on, 
Googled her and was like, what the fuck? Like, this woman, like, no. So she called the cops on her. So Kate, or I'm sorry, Heather was then arrested. And then she slipped through the cracks. And then one month later, she meets Kate. Also, too, like, surgeons perform surgeries. That's why they're called surgeons. And yes, they are very knowledgeable. But typically, when you're a doctor, you have a specific field of study. And so... Yeah, and you would, that would actually be malpractice to practice outside of your realm of Exactly, so it's like, the fact that she's like, I'm going to diagnose this child right now with a diabetes blood test, like, who had diabetes? Was there hers? It was Heather. Yeah, she's dumb. <laughs> and additionally, in court, Ethan's sister, um, I hope I say this right, uh, Tishka Mack, describes Heather as a psycho after she learned Heather lied about being a doctor. So she's just lying to everyone that she's a doctor. And if you look like if I'm sorry, I don't judge anyone based on looks, but it's very apparent that this woman is not a doctor. No, no, no. She's a, she's not a doctor. She's many other things, uh, but a doctor is not one of them. Yeah. She's like, she looks more like a carny or something. (laughs) No offense to any carnies listening. I love carnies. Listen, Joe Dirt was a carny and we love him. (laughs) That's why they named you Joe Dirt said no, Miker. (laughs) 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 Sorry. Oh, God. It's okay. So, Ethan's sister tries to encourage him to end his relationship because she's lying and all that stuff, but Ethan is still seeing her. Heather ends up making a plea deal of voluntary manslaughter and testified against Max so that bullshit marriage was just a joke, I guess. And she took the stand for four hours and told the entire courtroom the chilling details of how they took the life of Kate Waring. Heather testified that Kate introduced her to Ethan Mack and the two quickly fell in love. Heather says Mac got tired of Kate always being present on their nights out, their dates, hanging out with them, whatever. And on June 12th, 2009, Heather said she and Mac killed Kate Waring at their James Island apartment, tricking Waring into getting into a suitcase. Heather told Kate that she bet her $20 she wouldn't be able to fit into a suitcase. And I am going to go over the details here, so this is just a trigger warning For anyone, if you want to fast forward through this part, I totally understand. Kate proceeded to put herself in this suitcase and she was laughing about it. She all thought it was fun and games. And Heather Camp and Ethan Mack used a stun gun on her repeatedly over and over and over again while Kate was calling out their names. They then hit over the head with a wine bottle twice so hard that the bottle broke. Mack Sorry, Ethan Mack told Heather Camp to fill the bathtub with water. He then put Kate in the bathtub. They went through her belongings and they even sent text messages from her phone, including text messages to themselves. They left her in the tub overnight and the next day they went to the supermarket to buy gloves and a mop and other cleaning supplies to clean up the crime scene. They left, sorry, they left her in the bathtub with water in it overnight. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, Heather said that while they put her in there, she was still breathing because there were bubbles, but there was, she mm. was unconscious. Heather said they pulled her out of the bathtub 
and she cleaned the bathroom while Ethan Mack took a little nap, which is... Like, you can sleep after that. I wish that. people can see my scowl right now, like... Yeah, and they were not concerned. They rented a car. They drove to Guatemala because Ethan knew a place where they could put her. And on the drive, they were just talking about, like, what their next plan was. And they were not concerned. They were not nervous. And they got there at about 8 a.m. in broad daylight. According to Heather, she and Mac plotted from inside of the Charleston jail how or they were going to beat the charges. She told the court that they were able to pass letters from each other from behind bars they use phony names because it's illegal for codependent for co-defendants to communicate. Co-defendants, codependents, same fucking thing. Camp talked about a letter from Mac and how she was supposed to quote have his back. Um, also in the trier trial, Thomas Waring explained how he confronted his daughter about a five hundred and fifty dollar check made out to Ethan Mac. So this was not the first time that this has happened. This is what the letter's about. So Tom knew something was going on, and he told that to the jury. Kate's account could not cover the amount of the check, and Tom told the jurors in the courtroom that his daughter had evaded questioning about this, and she, she was saying that she would handle it. After 14 hours of deliberation, it was a hung jury. Heather's deal that she made was ultimately pulled from the table because she had continued and continued to lie to investigators as it was ongoing, as they were looking for the body, whatever it was. She kept Take lying years. to them. Yeah, since it was a hung jury, the prosecutor, Scarlett Wilson, was preparing for a new trial, but Ethan's mother had some... Something was off. And she needed to speak to her son. Originally, Corinne Mac Dean testified that she did not believe her son Ethan had anything to do with it. However, after she was sitting through the tr trial, something fell off and she knew her son was lying. So she goes and sees Ethan while he's in jail, while he's in a cell, and she's like, you go tell that judge. He does, and he confesses to participating in the murder of Kate Waring. He took the plea deal and agreed to voluntary manslaughter in exchange for 25 year for 25-year prison sentence. Heather pled guilty to forgery, murder, obstruction of justice, and she did not require a trial because she pled guilty. At her sentencing, her, her therapist told the judge that she had several psychological disorders and was unable to separate the truth from fiction. This led to her abandoning her children and all of her recent behaviors, basically. Prosecutor Wilson argued that she continued to lie. Despite this, Prosecutor Wilson was pretty set on the fact that she continued to lie while she made her deal to testify, and she was sentenced to 39 years in prison, which is 13 more than Ethan Mack because she kept lying in this investigation. And how old is she? Um, <clears throat> she was, I want to say, like, not even 30 yet when she got sentenced, and she got sentenced in 2010. Okay. They were all around the same age. Kate was 28, I think they were in between the ages of like 27 to 31. So was she eligible for parole after a certain amount of time? Do you know? Not, okay. not yet. Yeah. Um, Ethan Mack in 2016, he required, or he requested a new trial, but it was denied. As far as an update on all of this, there has not been any. I've looked through newspapers and online and all that and I could not find any updates on any of them so um Terry Wilson also he I forget what his charges were but he also got reprimanded for 
um, his part in it, which was minimal, but still, he could have came again? to the police. He was the neighbor that was helping with the floating checks or kiting. Of oh, right, that Heather was having an affair with. Okay. So, Ethan got 25, Heather got 39, and all of that took away Kate's entire life. Like, that's not... Mm-hmm. I hate the justice system so much. And it's horrible, too, because of all of the just negligence on part of the police department. If they could have had more evidence, if they would have just gone to Ethan yeah. Mack's house and tested for blood... Te- just looked around and been like, was, hey, Tom, does this look like something your daughter owned? They would have found the keys. They were, what, behind the TV? Like, I... I... <sighs> I have a resident, okay, and SWAT had to come in and find somebody that she may or may not have been hiding. She wasn't. She complied. She walked out of her home. Nobody was in the house. They still proceeded to go in with a smoke grenade, completely destroyed her flooring. Like, it's burned. It's awful. Thrashed her entire apartment, pulled everything off of her shelves, everything, all because they were suspected she may be with this person that they were looking for, and he wasn't even there. So oh the fact, my God. so the fact That's that they insane. were able to just like go above and beyond to possibly find a person or drugs in a home, but when somebody is actually missing and there's reasonable um, suspicion that these people could have been involved, they can't even just get a search warrant and be like, "Hey, can we look at your house?" Like. That's right. all it would have taken, and they would have probably found her body a lot sooner. Yeah, it's horrible. I just, I don't understand. Again, we we do these cases on a weekly basis, and I feel like every time it's still, it, it just shocks me how evil people and can be. And I think be. that's that's good. It should, because as soon as it starts to feel comfortable, that's when we know there's a problem. <laughs> like, we shouldn't feel comfortable right. listening to these cases. Like, they should, like I said at the beginning of this episode... These sorts of things should make us uncomfortable. They should make us think. Like, if you start to feel like, ah, I could talk about real people dying all the time and not be affected by it, like, there's something wrong. You shouldn't feel that way. Because every one of our cases, like, after we get done, I'm still thinking about them. I don't forget their names. Like Exactly. I mean, sure, it'll get to a point, you know, where we'll have so many that it'll be like, okay, wait, what was that case that we did at this time? But as soon as I see their name, I'll remember every detail. So it's just, uh-huh. it shouldn't feel comfortable. And I'm glad it doesn't feel comfortable. We're still very uncomfy at the end of these conversations. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I am really sorry for her parents. It sounds like, sounds like Kate was really trying. Yeah, absolutely she was. And she had a great support system. She was actively in therapy. I also find it interesting that Heather had a therapist testify at her trial. Doesn't sound like there is any long-term relationship she had established with this therapist, which I think is something that people do when they're trying the whole insanity thing. Just get a therapist, work for them for a few weeks. This therapist all of a sudden decides this person is incompetent to stand trial. This person has X, Y, and Z. And that's not, that. there are people out there that have these disorders. And that really makes their life complicated and it might they might end up doing something like this and that's the thing too is that it gives people who may have some sort of um mental disorder or not even a mental disorder i think i think that sounds really harsh but like 
but not not all people who suffer from bipolar disorder or multi multiple personality disorder not all of them are aggressive and not all of them are bad people and when people no. go on trial and they're like oh i'm gonna try to get the insanity plea i'm psychotic or i'm bipolar it's like you give everybody else that may be suffering with that a bad name because they're trying they are trying really right. hard to live a semi-normal life and you're out here just pretending to be that because you think it's going to get you a lesser sentence. Right. And it's these people, these defense attorneys, whatever it is, they go out and they look for a doctor that's going to help them with their narrative. They're going to find, I'm sure that this was not the first psychiatrist that they brought in. They probably bought, brought psychiatrists in that were like, no, this bitch is normal. She's just evil. They, they're going to find a psychiatrist that's going to say what they want them to say. And then that's the one that they're going to bring on the stand. And that's so warped because if you're not in your field to genuinely help people, then what are you doing? Our legal system is so hard because I don't, I could never be a defense attorney. Like I understand defense attorneys for people Mm -hmm. who are genuinely innocent, but situations like this, it's like, how, how do you sleep? Like knowing you got up there and defended somebody that clearly murdered somebody out of cold blood. And your, your goal is to get this person off or to get them shortest amount of time served possible I don't understand that either I mean I was just gonna say I know that they do a ton of like ethics stuff in law school and all that and so I don't know maybe that I just but I also don't understand prosecutors that hone in on one person and they make the narrative fit and then that person's completely innocent like the Pamela Hupp case I I Mm -hmm. that case intrigues me so much because her poor husband was just railroaded and the prosecutor was like, nope, it's him and I'm going to make this fit to be him. They never looked at other possibilities and that really bothers me because you cannot have tunnel vision when working a case. And unfortunately, that's what happens most of the time. Like, not saying I think O.J. Simpson is innocent, but that happened during his case too. (laughs) Like, that's why they lost right. is because they should have brought in their horizons to definitely say, no, it absolutely was him. We looked at all these other routes and it, it could only be him, exactly. but they didn't. And that's yeah. where I, I think it shot themselves in the foot. But I could go down that rabbit hole right. for <laughs> an hour. Oh, but. I know that that's another one that makes me sick. I just, and I also think it's important. I know that while we're telling these stories, this episode, there was a lot of, tangents that we went on and I know that there was laughter involved and we're not taking these cases lightly again we're here to advocate for the victim and advocate for the family however I do think it's important for us to be able to just take breaks from it and so that's why we again kind of go on these tangents and we have lighthearted banter in between it's not because we don't think this is serious it's not in a matter of disrespect to the victim or the victim's family again we got to break it up and I want to add to I know even in the last episode I did it where we're making fun of somebody's appearance who committed these crimes if you are an innocent person and you look like that person you're not going to have a mugshot like we're looking at their mugshots and making fun of them like Yes, the pencil eyebrows, like, they look really bad on her. We're not saying that everybody with pencil eyebrows is ugly. It's just her because we know she's a bad person. So I just want to make that clear that we're not, like, 
trying to single out anybody or make anybody feel like, oh, they're talking about me because my eyebrows, like, that's... No, absolutely not. We're saying that these people are ugly on the inside and that's clearly reflected on the outside. 100%. There was something else I wanted to add. Oh, I was going to say, when you started this, I thought it was going to be Howard's ex that did it. So I was completely caught off guard. (laughs) I knew you were going there and I was like, I was trying, I wanted to keep it um, a mystery for as long as I could. This, it, it. It happens pretty quickly. As soon as it's like he goes to the bank and he has a check, it's like, mm, $4,500. That's a lot of money to give to a friend. Especially why is this woman that comes from an extremely wealthy family from Charleston, South Carolina? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. She wouldn't be borrowing money. Right. And I was even like, oh, what a cute meet cute between Ethan and Heather. And like how nice they're going to dinner. But then as soon as you were like, yeah, he dropped her off. And then her cell phone, it's, her phone pinged at a cell phone t- tower 10 miles away. I was like, he did something. It's him. Yeah, exactly. Like cell phone, it pings. And we've heard it before. It's happened in cases. I know it happened in the Casey Anthony case, which that case is fucked anyways. But it happens. Cell phones ping off of towers and it's weird and it's freaky. But 1.53 a.m., 10 miles away, no. I'm not buying it. And I had a feeling, too, that he was texting himself. I had a feeling. I was like, they're texting themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not phone calls or anything. So. Right. I feel bad. I feel bad for, you know, Howard and then her parents. Because that's just, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. And she just seemed, she is was beautiful. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen what she looks like yet. Let me show you. And again, we'll add it to the Instagram. This um, Even like her... Because, you know, sometimes when you search for people, it's like, this is her driver's license Stop picture. it. I look like a trash bag. She looks gorge. She looks stunning in her driver's license picture. And, like, these are a few other pictures of her. But gorgeous red hair, high cheekbones, perfect eyebrows, beautiful she blue eyes. She is really eyes, pretty. Just completely gorgeous. Yeah. And, again, she was trying. She was – she had a lot just going for her. Just because you – Go down a bad path at some point in your life does not mean that's the path you have to stay down. Honestly, and I can say from personal experience, if you go down a bad path and you are able to get yourself back up, you're going to be so much stronger. And it makes me sad too because it sounded like she thought she was surrounding herself with good people and clearly she's not. So she didn't. So please um, be mindful of who you let into your inner circle. You can never be too cautious. Um Yes, exactly. And it's so important to set boundaries and to keep your boundaries. I've had this happen in my personal life where I have tried so many times to set boundaries with a specific person and this person continued to disrespect my boundaries. When I blocked her, it was go to the next person, go to my mom, try to find me on Instagram, try to find me on Facebook. I would block every single account now you're emailing me. Solidify your boundaries and keep them. It's not worth it to have toxic people in your life. And that's why I surround myself. I am very private about my personal life. And I only surround myself with a select number of people. And I love those people. Those people are my yep, ride or die. I am very selective. I have literally no friends. I have you. <laughs> and I have Robert. And then, you know, I have my family. Right. I'm a friendly person. Like, if you see me on the street, like, I will have a conversation. However, we're not going to be best friends right off the bat. Like, I take a very long time to warm up to people. So, 
but I'm not going to be an ass. Like, I'll still be friendly. <laughs> exactly. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I'm cold or I'm not empathetic. Listen, I'm a human resource manager. I am very, very kind and very caring and very empathetic to anyone in my professional environment. You can come to me at any time of the day. I will stop what I'm doing and I will have a conversation with you. If you want to vent, I'm here. I'll keep everything private. And that's how I conduct business. Does not mean that we need to go hang out outside of work. And unfortunately, a lot of people cross that boundary a lot. And that's why people get in trouble. So, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I'm in human resources and I get people in trouble for doing that shit. I've seen it, man. Just set boundaries. I literally like have staff meetings about boundaries and I'm just like you cannot have too many boundaries you and I became friends at work but I also was wasn't your supervisor when we became friends but as soon as I did become a supervisor I literally sat you down and it was just like listen I am your boss now (laughs) and we did we did have that talk I mean we still went to lunch and stuff like that but we did have that conversation that you know I was your supervisor and I was going to start acting like it because my position changed and then you're still too. You ended up getting promoted right. too. And so yeah, exactly. But we were still a- able, like when you had, when we had to be professional, yeah. we were professional. And then that company made some bad decisions, and they sucked. So now we're both at different places, and we're right where now. we're supposed to be. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be here forever. But yes, for now. <sighs> yeah, everything. I like for how a most of this episode has just been us like talking. Well. Again, you know, we, these things happen and I'm not saying people should always like listen to us and we have oh, all we the don't. advice and we know all the answers, but if, if we can, no, we don't. But if, if someone's out there and if they're listening and they're saying, Hey, I might have someone in my life that I need to shed, dude, send us a Gmail at sentence pod. Cause I'll tell you, I'll give you boundaries <laughs> 101. Like I literally <laughs> like, see, and I, I'm, I'm really bad at that of setting boundaries. Like Especially with family, because I'm like, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Yeah, and we're people pleasers, naturally. We're nines. Yeah, like, we're and that's... That. We're so. nines. I'm just going to go around and tell people that. Like, Full circle. I, I'm a nine. What are you? And they're going to be like, a, a ten? And I'm like, no, no, no. That's not what I mean. <laughs> that's not what I mean. You're like a two. <laughs> that's even meaner. <sighs> okay, I think we should wrap this up, our little giggle fest today. Yes, thank you guys so much for joining us. The Patreon is up. You can find us on Instagram at Sentenced Pod. Facebook, the name is Sentenced Pod. Email us, sentencedpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music. I was like, I know there's one more. <laughs> Any cases that you want us to cover email us sentencepod at gmail uh any feedback we're again in the process we're listening to these episodes which it's kind of painful listening to yourself talk but we're doing it so that we can improve um we're open to any feedback and we so appreciate you guys being here and we'll see you next week bye bye